What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three parademons just looking for a good time. I'm Austin Terry, and I never knew stairs could stop the Justice League in their tracks. I'm Matt Johnson, and the bell has been rung. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm Keith Baker, and my upper lip is back up and smacking. Yes, ma'am. On today's show, we'll be returning to our roots in a way. We started this podcast with a three-part series covering Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and the theatrical version of Justice League. Now it's time to cover a topic that was a dream to some and something that could never possibly happen for others, Zack Snyder's Justice League. But before we get into that, Matt, fill us in on the MCU real quick with our most recent ongoing TV review series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, at this point, we've only seen the premiere episode. I think going in, we either didn't know what to expect at all, or on Asa and I's side, we really kind of weren't really thrilled by the trailer. So after seeing that premiere episode, though, we were all pretty high on it. So, so far, they're proving us wrong, and I cannot wait to get into the rest of these episodes. Just like our WandaVision series, The Falcon and Winter Soldier, new episodes drop on Fridays, which means you can catch us talking about each and every one on Sunday. And we do have the episode for episode one out right now, so just scroll back on your podcast feeds wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my friends, let's get into it. Four years later, and I don't want to understate this, but against all odds, Zack Snyder's Justice League is here. Literally, this film was dead in the water. The studio gave up, Zack Snyder was fired, and Joss Whedon was brought in to quote-unquote save the DCEU. And yet, here we are. Zack Snyder's original vision for Justice League is now completed and available to the world. (laughs) Look where we are. We made it. (laughs) I just... Part of me wishes this never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Really? No. Why is that? I think I'm just so tired of this... uh, four years. I'm so tired of hearing about this project. I'm glad we got to see it, but it's just, it takes a toll, you know, being on Twitter and having all these people talk about, this is all there is to talk about. So, you know, (laughs) I'm glad it's here. Um, But you know what? Zack Snyder, I like, I like a lot of his movies, but I do give him shit sometimes. I'm happy for him. You know, he went through some shit and the fact that he actually got to see the original vision that he wanted on the screen for everybody to see is pretty damn cool. So I think the big winner here is him. I agree. And uh, it's funny because the worst thing about this entire movie is the release of Snyder Cut people on Twitter. But without them, the movie also wouldn't have been released. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I appreciate the passion. I guess it's just the toxic side of it that gets to be a lot. For the people that just really wanted to see this movie and are getting it, you know, that's awesome that they're getting it. Okay, so let's take a look back for a second. Snyder gave us some controversial films with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, and was very close to giving us a Justice League film back in 2017. But due to a family tragedy and rumored behind-the-scenes issues with Warner Bros., Snyder left the project and the studio brought in MCU poster boy Joss Whedon. The movie went through extensive reshoots and was rushed into theaters. We had varying thoughts on all three of these movies at the time, and I think it's fair to say there are elements of both Man of Steel and BVS that we all appreciate, but Justice League should have never been released to theaters in its original state. So now the big question, with the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement active since the release of the original movie, there is always going to be an insane amount of hype to live up to if Snyder's vision ever saw the light of day. So now that we have seen Zack Snyder's original four-hour take on the Justice League vs. Steppenwolf story, was it worth the wait? Well, that's what we are here to talk about today. Matthew and Keith, give me your thoughts on the 2017 theatrical cut of Justice League and your initial thoughts on 
Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, the original Justice League, as we all know by now, it's no secret. I was pretty drunk the first time <laughs> I watched it. Forgot most of it. And to be honest, the second time I watched it, I, I think I still kind of forgot most of it as well. It's a very forgettable movie. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it's a pretty forgettable movie. It was a quick movie. Not, not a lot of character development. No real buildup or explanations of any of the characters. Uh, so yeah, that goes into my initial thoughts with the Schneider cut, is that all of that is there in this one. There's explanations, there's there's buildups, uh, there's character development and everything like that. They call this one the Snyder Cut, but really this one actually feels like, even though it's only, it, even though it is really lengthy and it's four hours long, this one actually does feel like a movie where the original one, you could really call that one the Josh Whedon cut because it just, it does feel like just cuts. It just, it's just cutting off all the uh, explanations and all the fill in the gaps, uh, as I would put it. Yeah. That's what I get out of the Snyder Cut is that it, it actually feels like a, a real movie. That's a really good way to put it. I haven't really heard anybody describe it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and get it out of the way now because I, I think this is a conversation a lot of people don't share the same view on. I'm not saying I love it. I do not love it by any means, but I do not share the belief that the theatrical cut is a bad movie. It's just fine, it, and it's boring. Even though it's so fast, it's boring. But there are people out there that think it's like one of the worst movies ever made, and it's like, okay, come on. It's, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in it, some good performances, but yeah, like Keith said, it's just so, ugh, it just cuts around so much, and it had a job of introducing us, really, to the Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman, so how they were going to set up this villain, introduce all three of those characters, integrate them with the return of Superman, like, no way that's going to be just impactful in that short of a time, and it wasn't. So, I think it's a fine movie, nothing to write home about, but... This version, the Zack Snyder version, I was so nervous because I kept telling myself, okay, look, I get that it's twice as long, but does that really mean it can be a good and interesting story? Like, isn't it just going to feel like they're just shoving in all these deleted scenes with maybe some cool additional scenes that Zack Snyder shot? Like, will it still really be that good? Because it is the same story. And I think Keith kind of nailed it. It's not that the story is like, amazing now it's just that they provide us with so much great character moments and motivations and build up and things just make sense in this one it's actually in a weird way uh you guys probably would agree it's kind of like the transition from the bvs theatrical cut to the ultimate edition which the best i can say about that is oh my god everything makes so much more sense now <laughs> like i understand why characters are doing what they're doing i understand a bit more about the villain motivation and this is a way better version of that even i would say like Everything just makes so much sense, and it's just a way cooler, more fun movie, and yeah, I had a great time watching it. It's not like a masterpiece, I wouldn't say, but it's really damn fun, and there's a lot to like talk about and enjoy with this movie. Like Genuinely good, I would say. Yeah, I think the best thing you said there, Matt, is the word fun, because my issue with the 2017 theatrical cut is that it's so hollow and so boring, and... It may be a fine movie, but it's not fun for me to, to go in and see these Justice League characters. Yeah. And I'm a huge DC guy. So for me to go to a Justice League movie and not have had fun in the theaters watching that movie was a huge letdown for me. And I was extremely nervous, just like you, Matt, going into the Snyder Cut. I was really worried it was going to be overhyped and that it wasn't going to be worth the four-hour runtime. And I got to say, 
I think it fills in so much of the theatrical version. I think it is a really interesting story. The actual bare bones of the of the structure of the plot doesn't change a whole lot, but all the background we get, all the additional character development, I think it makes it so much fun, and I had a blast sitting through these four hours of the Snyder Cut. So with all that being said, everybody, the Snyder Cut is brand new. We are going to talk about everything no holds barred, so this is your official spoiler warning. If you don't want any of the new stuff spoiled for you, do not go any further in this podcast because we are going to be talking about everything that has been added and that was not included in the 2017 theatrical cut. Keith, it's a huge cast and crew, so please take it away, run down our cast and crew for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Well, it is directed by Zack Snyder. Screenplay by Chris Terrio. Uh, you may know him from Argo. Movie score composed by Tom Hulkenborg, also known as Junkie XL. I think that's one of the, the best things about the Snyder Cut is the fact that the Junkie XL score is back. I love it so much. I know, but th- he rewrote it, right? It's like this version, he wrote even more for it. So it's like there's even more opportunities. <laughs> well, he had to. There's four hours. Oh, that's true. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into the cast here. Oh my so God, we have so big. Mr. Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne, the Batman. Gal Gadot as Diana Prince, Wonder Woman. Henry Cavill as Clark Kent, Superman. Ray Fisher as Victor Stone, Cyborg. Jason Momoa as Aquaman, Mr. Arthur Curry. Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, The Flash. Kieran Hens as Steppenwolf, Amy Adams as Miss Lois Lane, Jeremy Irons as Alfred, Diana Lane as Martha Kent, Willem Dafoe as Volko, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, Connie Nielsen as Hippolyta, J.K. Simmons as Jim Gordon, Joe Morton as Silas Stone, Joe Mangliello as Slade Wilson, Deathstroke, Amber Heard as Mara, Harry Lennox as Martian Manhunter, Kiersey Clemens as Iris West, as well as Zang Kai as Ryan Choi, Peter Guinness as Desaad, with Ray Porter as Darkseid, and Jared Leto as the Joker. So this is the biggest and most star-studded cast we've had so far in this podcast, some making their debut to this version of the story. Who or what were your guys' highlights? God, where do we even start, dude? I gotta say, I think it might be uh, inspired and bought in Ben Affleck. He actually looks like he's having fun in this one, whereas in the theatrical version, he looks like he's so bored. Yeah, he was terrible in the theatrical version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are some of these people cut, too, dude? Like, a lot of these, uh, like, new additions, like, actually play pretty important roles in, like, furthering the plot. Desaad is a real highlight for me. I love him being like the messenger for Darkseid. I thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll shout out to Jeremy Irons as well as Alfred. I really liked him a lot in this one. Yeah, dude. He's great. It's hard not to list a bunch. I agree with everything you guys have said so far, just to keep it with my picks, I guess. Gal Gadot never turns in a bad performance as Wonder Woman. Ezra Miller, I didn't love Barry in the theatrical cut. He just was so grating to me in that. Whereas this, it feels a bit more real and he's not trying to make jokes. He's just a bit more awkward. So it felt more natural in this version. So I was a bit I was a bit more of a fan here. And I love with his character that like when he gets nervous, he just starts talking faster and faster. Like it kind of feels like a natural thing for the Flash to be doing. Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. Kieran Hines, I thought I thought his vocal work in the original was fine, but definitely cooler here for sure. Small role, but Willem Dafoe is Volko. Really liked the design, and his he, his scenes were really good and kind of like made sense about the Aquaman motivation. Really helped with that. God, there's so many. 
Joe Morton and Silas Stone is still great. But yeah, let's talk about some of the big ones too, because we don't get a lot of Ray Porter's dark side. I mean, we see the character a lot, but in terms of like the actual performance, he doesn't talk except for, I think, in that one scene where he talks to Steppenwolf. Cool voice. Not too much to talk about, but it was cool. Um, Jared Leto as the Joker. We see him all over these trailers. He's barely in the movie. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I thought, I thought it was fun. It was interesting. But we got to talk about it. Because, I mean, this character is so kind of maligned from Suicide Squad. And divisive, too. Yeah. I mean, some people just hate it. And some people are like, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Uh, what do we think, guys? Tell me what you thought of Jared Leto in this scene. <laughs> so for me, and I guess it's fair because we haven't talked about Suicide Squad on the podcast yet. It's a bad movie. I don't like it. But I have always been in the camp that I want to see more of Jared Leto's Joker. I feel bad that a lot of his stuff was cut from that movie. And seeing him here kind of furthers that belief for me. I really do want to see more of his take on the Joker. Yeah. I'm not sold on him yet, but I'm also not swayed from him either. I think we just need to see more. Yeah, it was a cool scene. Um, I like that we finally got to see Batman and Joker talk. <laughs> that was kind of cool. And they talked about yeah. the history. Batman said that he would fucking kill him. I was like, that's cool. He also said Harley Quinn died in his arms and begged him to kill the Joker, which is pretty crazy. Yes. Joker, of course, directly referenced killing a previous Robin, but still they're working together for some reason. Like, what the hell is happening? So, yeah, I kind of I liked Mr. Jared Leto. You know, uh, he he's crazy in real life. He's probably a terrible person. Um, but, <laughs> you know, he turns in some weird and fun performances. So that was cool. Any other highlights before we move on from that big cast and crew? Yeah. Before we move on, I, I think we got to also shout out Ray Fisher. Zack Snyder has always referred to him as the heart of this film. And we didn't really get that in the theatrical cut. And I really did enjoy his performance in this version of the, of the movie. I thought he really did kind of carry the plot forward. I loved all his backstory stuff. He's got some great emotional scenes. Um, and he kills it as Cyborg, too. I think he's fantastic. I agree. Yeah, he gave the best performance by far in the theatrical version. And in this one, I don't know if I'm fully bought into, like, he's the heart of the movie. I think there is a lot of heart. But he, I think I think I would agree that he gets the most of it. And you're right. They use his background in cool ways to also further th this plot, which was interesting to see. So definitely a highlight for sure. So let's go ahead and move on now. Um, I think it is worth really quickly kind of running down the history of the Snyder Cut and how this film came to be. So Matt, do you want to take that away for us? So here's what we had. I'll just run through this very fast. In 2013, Zack Snyder was given control of the DCEU and set to make five movies. Man of Steel was released, though, to very mixed reviews and was a minor box office success. BVS received very bad reviews, but did do pretty well at the box office. Despite that, WB and DC no longer wanted dark movies. They were like, that's not working. Zack Snyder was given more oversight when Justice League began shooting, but WB mandated a lighter tone. Zack Snyder then unfortunately suffered a family tragedy when his daughter Autumn committed suicide. And in turn, he stepped away with, I believe, the intent to come back. He, he wasn't like leaving the project, but they decided the studio was like, well, we don't want to wait. We want our bonuses. So they ended up bringing in Joss Whedon to finish the movie while he was gone. Yeah, Zack Snyder has always maintained that he was under the impression that he was going to come back and finish the they movie. They were just going to delay the movie a little bit, basically. Wouldn't have been a big deal. So Justice League releases and, and is considered average by critics, but not liked very much by fans. Rumors began to swirl that there is a longer version of Zack Snyder's vision out there somewhere. A grassroots release the Snyder Cut movement begins to build online. Zack Snyder confirms the existence of his version and seems to cheer on the movement at every chance he gets by really giving Vero 
a high stock price. <laughs> um, <laughs> he does love that Vero. He is a Vero influencer, I believe. He's got to be the biggest for sure. The cast of Justice League confirms they want to see the original version. Joss Whedon is accused of creating a terrible work environment and diminishing the roles of people of color, particularly Ray Fisher as Cyborg. Seeing an opportunity to boost HBO Max, the studio agrees to let Zack Snyder make a four-hour cut of his movie. He agrees to do it for free under a limited budget and reshoots. So that's kind of what happened. As for the movement itself, their enthusiasm, large numbers, and willingness to create advertising opportunities and reach out to Warner Brothers to ask for the cut are kind of the big reasons this was given the go-ahead by HBO Max. They used their forces for good as well by raising awareness for and donating to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. That foundation and Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder praised the people involved for their actions. However, the group has received criticism as well for being very toxic. They've been known to argue with and bully those online who just seemingly don't share their same views of Snyder and his DC films. They have harassed people at Warner Brothers along the way that they felt could provide information and maybe didn't or couldn't. And they even digitally altered people's responses online to support their cause instead of bagging on it. The toxic side of the fandom has been compared to things surrounding The Last Jedi, kind of that vitriol, and the following harassment of fans towards Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose, seemingly just for being in the movie. Uh, they harassed her for no reason, and she decided to leave social media because of it. So some similarities there. Yeah, so that that toxicity really is kind of the negative side of this whole movement. Um, I think it's really cool on the positive side that the fans who literally just wanted a better movie, like they willed this into existence. I think that's pretty awesome. And all the work that they've done to raise money for suicide prevention too has been really cool to see, especially with um, a lot of the donations and campaign stuff being in Autumn, Zack Snyder's daughter, kind of being in her honor. I think that's pretty great as well. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I was not in on it. Like you guys were really paying attention to it. I just heard all the all the people, I guess. Yeah. Just shouting like we want the Snyder Cut, want the Snyder Cut. I just didn't know what that meant at the time, though, because there's Josh Whedon scenes in this movie, obviously. Josh Whedon came in and cut the movie down because Warner Bros. mandated it had to be two hours or shorter. And then he also refilmed existing scenes to make them like lighter and funnier like the movie had extensive reshoots and it really was taking a scene that Zack Snyder created and then kind of tweaking it to make it fit like editing wise and then adding comedic elements to the movie yeah the perfect example especially since it's at the beginning of the movie is this scene where Bruce Wayne and Aquaman like talk and walk outside which leaves Aquaman to say fuck off Bruce Wayne and then leaves we see very similar scenes in both versions, but you can already see the tonal differences in Joss Whedon's where he makes a dumb joke and then weirdly jumps into the water, whereas in Zack Snyder, he wanted to have a, a choir. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so, th so that's some background on the Snyder Cut. Let's now get into the critical reception. Um, let's briefly talk about how 2017 Justice League was received, and then we'll kind of run through the Snyder Cut reception as well. So in 2017, the theatrical version of Justice League releases and it makes $657 million worldwide against a production budget of $300 million. However, with reshoots and marketing, uh, the film had an estimated break-even point of $750 million. So Justice League, the title characters of DC, lost the studio roughly $60 million. Um, and, and that film did release to mixed critical reviews. It currently has a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. The performances were praised, and so was some of the fun action. But for the most part, it was criticized for its pacing, writing, and CGI. The villain was also not very well received, um, seemingly to have no clear motivation. And critics also felt that none of the new characters were given enough backstory. Very fair. Very fair. Um, 
I kind of agree with it. Again, I already talked about it at the beginning. I don't lean super negative on this movie. I, I don't enjoy watching it, but I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say. I agree the performances are pretty solid. I think the only one that I'm not trying to bag on him. I, but yeah, Ben Affleck did. When you compare him to BVS, it was a weird transition. I know he was going through a lot of uh, personal turmoil at that time, but still. Well, it's funny you say that, Matt, because I do have a quote from The Hollywood Reporter saying, Ben Affleck looks like he'd rather be anywhere else but here. Which probably at the time was not true. He was like, God, I want to be on set so bad <laughs> to stuff into my bad suit. Um, yeah, performances were fine. The writing was bad. The CGI was garbage. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was fun. And I know Austin disagrees with that's the primary point he disagrees with. But that's all I can really say for it. There's nothing in depth about the movie. It's just kind of forgettable fun. And then when you, you know, when you're done watching it, just exits your mind. So it's not like offensive to me until you kind of know more about the backstory behind it. But so let's now run down the Snyder Cut reception. Uh, The movie still is less than a week old at the time of this recording. But right now, reviews do seem to be majority positive. Uh, The movie currently has a 74% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 96% audience score. Um, Variety has called the film a knockout and superior to the 2017 version in almost every way. And The Telegraph has called it one of the most spectacular superhero movies ever made. A lot of the praise centers around the visuals, action, and character development. Critics enjoyed the origin of the team and the additional background that is given to the new characters. I've seen the word majestic thrown around quite a bit. Um, It really seems like critics have enjoyed the grand way that the story unfolds in this one. I've also seen a bunch of praise centering around the cyborg story and critics pondering why it was trimmed down in the first place. Critics also seem to enjoy all the performances and the various character interactions that play out on screen. Um, There are some negatives, though. Uh, Most of that falls around the runtime. Some critics have called it bloated and self-important. There are also some critics that felt it wasn't a different enough movie to change their opinion from the 2017 version. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter saying, The movie's soul remains unimproved, and at 242 minutes, it is nearly unendurable in a single-sitting experience. I can kind of see that, because... I mean, let's be honest. Do you guys think you could sit down for another four hours and watch this? I don't think I could. I think I would, I would like to watch it again, but I would have to watch it in pieces. Like maybe watch an hour and a half here, hour and a half there, and then finish it up. I don't know if I could really sit down for another four hours and watch it in one sitting. Yeah, the the runtime is definitely a barrier to like a single sitting experience for sure. Um, I do want to watch it again, and I kind of like that it is in chapters because you can kind of think like I'm going to watch one and two, take a break and come back later. So I I think there is a way to do it and watch it again. It's just not going to be in a single sitting. Yeah. Do you think they should have separated it into different episodes, like a miniseries? Yeah, that would have been interesting. I I, I don't know if it would have worked, but that obviously the chapter break was something we heard about a long time ago, that this was originally going to be like a four, like somewhere between a four and six episode miniseries. I think it would have been at least interesting. It would be cool if there's like a way to watch it like that. But would it be like at the end of each chapter, would it have been like, oh, wow, can't wait for next week? That I don't know. I think I think a miniseries would not have worked. I'm really glad they released it as a single film. Yeah. I, the four hour runtime is the obvious like it doesn't need to be four hours um, at all. I mean, it, it just doesn't. But again, I, I can't complain about it because Zack Snyder was even like, my plan was never for this to be four hours. This is just what I shot. The plan was to cut it down to two and a half, but I did not do the post-production. They fired me. So it's hard to complain. It's like HBO Max was like, no, just release everything. So that was the plan. So I'm not going to complain about about it being like, I know you guys aren't, but it is a barrier to entry that it is four hours. 
it just seems like such like low hanging fruit too. Like if, if you're gonna if you're a critic and you're not gonna like this movie, of course you're gonna be like, well the runtime's too long. It doesn't seem like it needs to be a criticism. Like of course it's too long, but this is what we got. If it's too much warning, if it's like why would that be why they, why would that be a surprise to you? They said it was gonna be this long, yeah. and then it, then it comes out and you're like, it was four hours. Yeah, they said it was gonna be four hours, like right when they said they're gonna do it. Yeah, so exactly. Why would you get mad about it? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the biggest thing I'll disagree with, and this is the probably the actually the biggest compliment I can give the movie. They're saying not enough was changed and the soul is still the way it is. I can't give it a positive review. That's the biggest thing I'll disagree with. To me, the theatrical cut had no soul. This one, I think, has one, man. I think this one has that emotional depth and resonance. Is it on the level of other things? No, but it it, it has it compared to the original. So for me, I think this is just far superior for that reason. It feels more human it feels like i know these characters by the end um so yeah i i I would definitely disagree with that going into this movie i was not expecting that it was actually going to feel like a different movie like i know that that's what they said that like i shot enough for there to be a whole new movie and it it, like the structure is there of of course like the plot's going to play out kind of the same way it does feel like a different movie though with all this extra content it feels better made the story unfolds better and i feel like i know especially cyborg and the flash i feel like i know those characters way better having seen this version 100%. 100%. Okay, let's get into the bulk of our show now. Let's get into our roundtable discussion. We all brought some points that we want to talk about for the Snyder Cut. Who wants to kick us off today? So we have lots of fun stuff to say about this, but I just wanted to get the obvious out of the way. While I really, really like this movie, and all in all, the four hours did surprisingly fly by, the pacing was a bit all over the place at times, which again is fair, considering, like we said, Snyder was just going to take the four hours and cut it down to two and a half. That was the original plan. I think that could have made for an even better movie, potentially. Not in all ways, but in some. I just thought mainly the first act used so much familiar footage that we had already seen and not really in any cool ways, like watching the Amazons do this weird arrow ceremony, Aquaman's introduction, and the nightmare stuff being just randomly shoved in at the end were some of the biggest offenders to me with this pacing. But I want to ask you guys, just to start us off, what individual scenes stuck out to you that you think should have been cut down, and which new additions do you think were absolutely integral and should have been kept in in the first place? So especially in the first chapter, I think there is definitely a lot of stuff that is extremely similar to the theatrical version. And a lot of the cuts that we were seeing, like when you compare this movie to the theatrical version in the first chapter, and you think about all the cuts that were made, a lot of that actually does make sense. Like, I, I don't think you need the extended Aquaman scene. You definitely don't need the secondary slow motion Aquaman taking his shirt off again and walking into the crashing waves. Oh my God. Keith's laugh at that scene was giving me life last night. He was laughing so hard. And then Austin <laughs> joined in. It was giving me, I was laughing so hard too. <laughs> You don't you don't need the Icelandic choir scene. Uh, you don't need the arrow the arrow ceremony, like you said, Matt. Like there is a lot of like unnecessary exposition and just like setting up a broader world. I do think a lot of the cuts in the first chapter did make a lot of sense. It's when we get into the rest of the movie that really it does start to get egregious of what they cut out. Why did they cut out Cyborg's backstory? It makes it really important to understand that character. Why was Vocal cut out of the movie? He brings Aquaman the armor and the trident. Seems really important. Why was the why was the d- dynamic changed between the Justice League is all on board with bringing Superman back versus it's all Batman just being hard headed? Like there is a lot of like plot stuff that got taken out of this movie. 
I agree. Yeah, overall, I definitely agree with that, that the first act has the most biggest offenders. I mean, Austin, you even said it while we were watching. It's like, I actually kind of get so far, like, why they cut out what they did. But it definitely changes. But yeah, Keith, I want to bring you in, too. What were your, what were your standouts? Like, what was like, oh, my God, this is going on so long. And then what, like, later happened in the movie where you're like, how did they cut that out in the first place? You know, maybe the the Clark, I mean, you guys might disagree with me on this. The Clark Kent going back to the farm scenes kind of lasted a little long for me. You know, we were, we were joking when we were watching last night, like, I want to get another yes, ma'am. <laughs> but really, did we really need him, like, sitting in the cornfield, like, brushing the corn for, like, <laughs> really an hour? <laughs> and that's kind of what I mean, too, Keith. There's, like, five-minute-long panning shots in this movie with no dialogue. Like, I can understand why a lot of that got cut out. I do think you do need Superman reuniting with Lois and Martha, but him actually, like, out in the cornfield, all that definitely could have been cut down. That could have been a quick scene, though. Just him like going back and like Martha's there and he just hugs her and they're reunited. Then he says he has to leave. That would have been yeah. an easy one one to two minute scene. He did not need to be in the cornfield like just, I don't know what he was doing, just stroking <laughs> the corn. And to your point, Matt, about the epilogue, I do really enjoy the epilogue. I think it's really Me cool. Too. It just should not have just been like, it should have not have come after the movie ended. It really should have gone in the first nightmare scene whenever Cyborg cuts to his vision of Darkseid. That's the whole nightmare sequence should have played out right there. Especially since they revealed at the end that Cyborg also lives in the um, nightmare timeline. So it's like you very easily could have had him just like in the present, like have that dream or whatever you want to say. And then it's his. And then they just did the same thing as BVS, which is they show this entire scene and then it cuts to Ben Affleck. Just waking up from a dream again. It's like, come on. That could have been better. Um, but yeah, overall, I think I, I agree with you guys. It just, um, there are scenes that just go on too long. I mean, it's easy to joke about, but in that Aquaman scene, the second, like whenever the waves are crashing, I counted. I think that scene where it just cuts to his face with water all over it was like 10 seconds, maybe. I was like, oh my God, how are we still on his face with water on it? I was like, (laughs) please cut, please cut. And I I do want to be clear, though, a lot of the stuff we're talking about also, though, is not Zack Snyder's fault. Like we've said, it's V.O. Max said, release everything. So it's kind of hard to criticize it because he even even he's been like, I really just wanted to make a two and a half, three hour movie, but the studio didn't let me. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know why I'm now being now I'm being criticized for the movie being too long and I didn't want it to be this I long. Know. Yeah, yeah. Austin, you already said it earlier, but we gotta talk about it real quick. Is the Icelandic caroling scene. What the hell is that? Wow. What was that? Wow. <laughs> talk about a bad <laughs> feeling. When that happens, maybe five minutes in the movie, it's like, oh no. This movie's gonna be really bad. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And this actually kind of, I might even be playing devil's advocate to my own earlier point, but I think one of the benefits of it being a long movie is you can play around and have some scenes that aren't super like in depth or anything, but just really fun and cool to see like in live action for the first time. Oh man, I was so giddy watching Wonder Woman interact with Alfred and like, He's like trying to give her tips on how to make tea. And she's like, Alfred, I, I can make you one. He's like, oh, no, it's, it's fine. And then like he brings her the tea and they're just like, they're just chatting. And he's like really giddy because he's excited about this new gauntlet he's working on. And she's like, that's really cool. Good job. Like it was just some of these fun scenes we got that were cut out. And I don't blame them for cutting them out because they don't add anything. But it's just they're just really cool to see. So that's another aspect of this film that I really liked. It's just the fun scenes like that. And to that point, too, I, I do think it is fair to call this movie a background movie. Uh, the four hours really do exist to give us some more background on our new heroes and then also Steppenwolf's motivations. 
Cyborg and The Flash receive uh, the most additional scenes. With all of this extra content, do we feel like we got to know these characters better, or should we have gotten their solo movies prior to Justice League? Right. The MCU thing. You know, we got two Iron Man movies, a Hulk movie, Cap, Thor, and then we got Avengers. You even had Black Widow and Hawkeye in those earlier movies to, like, set up some bigger roles later. Same with Nick Fury. So here would have been cool to get the Flash movie, Cyborg, Aquaman before this. That's kind of the question. Keith, what do you think? That goes to the argument. Do you think they were trying to di- differentiate themselves from MCU and not do that? Like, it's like Batman just goes out and just finds this kid who has the ability to run fast instead of actually having a full-on Ezra Miller origin story of the flesh. Well, Warner Bros. also felt they were behind. They felt like they needed to catch up to the MCU. They didn't think that their audience was going to want to sit through a bunch of setup movies, having already gotten that from Marvel. And um, I totally agree with that. And it's, I got to say, I guess I'm shooting myself in the foot a bit here again, but I was always like, look, I get it. They want to differentiate themselves from Marvel, and they also just want to catch up and be where they're at now. So I understood the move of going from just a standard Man of Steel to BVS to Justice League. Obviously, we got Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman in there. But in terms of the story continuing, it was those three movies. And it was like, holy shit, that's so fast. And I was always like, look, just give us an Aquaman movie, a Flash movie, Cyborg. Do it first. Do do what the MCU does. It works. Nobody will blame you. That's what I always said. But after watching this movie, I kind of get it. Because if you had taken out the Cyborg stuff made a movie then you don't really get an interesting dynamic in this movie where Bruce Wayne and Diana kind of convince him to come aboard and kind of their actions make him and stuff that happens in this movie, his dad's death, make him feel more like a part of the team and more willing to help. So we wouldn't have gotten that if they had just developed him in a different movie that happened beforehand. So I don't know, maybe this movie turned me around a bit because I liked seeing the Aquaman motivation and the backstory and then knowing where we go in the Aquaman movie kind of interesting character arc. So I don't know, maybe maybe this way kind of worked for me now that I'm thinking about it. Like I'm more excited to see the Flash movie after watching this. Does that make sense? Yep. That I kind of sense. I kind of agree too and that's that's actually what Warner Bros was hoping. Right. They were hoping to introduce the characters here in an effective way and then have everybody excited to see their own solo movies and then also hey, we don't need to do origin movies now for these solo movies because we've already introduced the characters in Justice League. Yeah, just play it backwards. Uh, so I also do want to talk about Steppenwolf. Um, I think the the biggest change really in this movie is that his motivation is apparent and clear. Uh, he's in debt to Darkseid after a betrayal, and he then goes on to find the anti-life equation on Earth, and then Darkseid orders him to prepare the Earth for his arrival. So what did you guys think about this addition, and how did you feel about the Steppenwolf and Darkseid dynamic in this movie? Darkseid's scary. For sure. He's scary shit. Really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really enjoy getting more of a backstory on Steppenwolf and his motivations rather than... Because in Justice League, from what I can remember, which I can't remember much, I just remember this guy with horns just coming in and just fighting everybody. I don't remember anything about That's him. That's all it is. Yeah. That's literally all it is. Yeah, he just shows up. Yeah, I don't remember who he is, why he's there, anything like that. So yeah, I was really glad to get some sort of background on this guy. And I think also having Darkseid in that flashback scene is way more effective than it being Steppenwolf. Because I like the fact that Darkseid's been beaten here once before, and now his scouts are out trying to find this primitive world that fought back. So I loved all this stuff. I think it was a simple motivation. We even talked about it when we talked about Incredible Hole. You can have villains that are kind of cheesy, that have very simple, bare-bones motivations, but that can still work enough. Same thing here. Steppenwolf's really only motivation set up is he betrayed Darkseid at one point. He wants to be back in good with him, and he's doing everything he can to do that. He has found the anti-life, the mother boxes on this planet. 
I'm going to get them all in so that Darkseid will, I, I'm not making even making a joke, so that he'll appreciate me again. It works. It's it's simple, but it works well enough. Um, and I love that we really didn't get much Darkseid, not as much as I thought. I love that he only talks to Desaad, and he's like, he wants to talk to Darkseid, but Desaad's like, he blo- always blocking him. And shout out to Peter Guinness, incredible voice. I love Desaad's voice, so good. Um, and it was really interesting. And I was so critical of Steppenwolf's armor in the trailers for this. I was like, it's just spiky. It's not interesting to look at. And seeing how it is living and moves around and adjusts to taking hits was so cool. And how like the sun like reflects the light. So he kind of has like purple and green and blue colors on him at all times. And then that scene whenever uh, the armor flips down and you see what he actually looks like. And it's like, wow, he looks kind of like he's emotional seeing Darkseid again. And he's sad. It's like, this is so interesting. The one thing I will say that I didn't love I loved it while we watched it, but after thinking about it, I think having Darkseid in the 5,000-year-ago battle was a good choice, but I think we needed Steppenwolf there, too. Oh, like as a general as or something? something? As something. Because while it's cool that it's up the Darkseid betrayal, we don't really know what it is. Like, it would have been nice to have some more backstory to what fractured their relationship, what exactly it was. And if you're not going to do that, fine. But then it would have at least been nice to see Steppenwolf and Darkseid fight together. Because like Austin, like you mentioned, it was cool knowing Darkseid has lost on this planet before. And they set up that theme of, wow, that was the only time in history where the race of men, Amazonians, Atlanteans came together. We Now we have to do that. I'm an Atlantean. You're an Amazonian. You guys are men. We got to come together to win. Same thing. But it was weird to me that Steppenwolf didn't have that same aspect. I feel like he should have lost on Earth as well, because he's the main villain. You know what I mean? It felt like he should have been there too. That's the only thing I wish they would have kept him in, even for a small role in that scene. Yeah, but I also do kind of like that, like, the only reason Steppenwolf is here is because he's trying to get in good with Darkseid. Makes sense. Like, I kind of like that element Darkseid lost, so now Steppenwolf's like, we'll all try and win for him. That does make sense too. That makes sense. There were a few scenes that were in the original cut that they change the soundtrack on Mm. you know some of them did work out for the better but you know the aquaman scene is probably the most notable that really did not work for me can you guys think of a good reason why they would change the background music on some of these scenes i mean some of the music worked in the original josh whedon cut the music as a whole though with the with the new schneider scenes we get some epic guitar solo backgrounds I i remember when we were watching it last night we were really you know talking about the guitar solos and the themes of all the characters coming in at perfect times which i really liked but yeah, I mean, going to the Aquaman scene, let's jump into that one first, then we can cover the other ones. So they had Seven Nation Army playing by the White Stripes and, and Josh Whedon quote, which I think was badass when he's drinking and he's walking off and he just jumps into the water. It was perfect. And then this one, they extended it. It was almost like a Dulce commercial. And and <laughs> water, it's a slow motion, taking his shirt off. Terrible. And then, and it's like some piano weird music playing in the background. So why would, why did they do that? What's up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. I do, I do think the Aquaman one is the most egregious. Um, I guess I guess it's probably simple, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure Zack Snyder was like, "It's got to be different." Yep, I agree. So it's going to be different music. It's going to be it's going to be my way. You know, I can't I can't do the same thing that they did in the in the theaters. And also, Keith, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when the 2017 version of the theatrical version of Justice League got released. Deborah Snyder, Zack Snyder's wife, and Christopher Nolan screened the movie and then went to Zack Snyder and were like, hey, you can never watch that movie. It will destroy you. So he's never even seen the movie. So he probably doesn't even know the White Stripes were playing in that scene. Well, he should have watched that scene because 
He could have. It was a good scene. Yeah, and he should have taken some notes at least on that scene. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. The other change that I don't like kind of wore me down is um, I love the Wonder Woman theme. I think it's so great. I do not like the addition of like the medieval moaning. So that's that's kind of my other my my big detractor too with the music. I I, lo- I do love that that Amazonian score though, and that Wonder Woman score. It's just the addition of the medieval stuff that kind of wore me down. I also like that they used the Wonder Woman score. Like, yeah, I agree that they the addition was stupid, but the fact that like anytime she's being badass, we do get the hints of it is at least like okay, that's cool. Other big thing to mention, which I actually just remembered right now, is Junkie XL was not a part of the score after Joss Whedon came aboard in the original. And they did something that I didn't hate. I know some people did. I I didn't love it, but it was, they brought on Danny Elfman, who is a fucking legend and I love him, but they had him, Keith, I don't know if you remember, he did, they just used his scores basically. So like whenever Superman returns in the original, you hear the Christopher Reeve, and then whenever Batman's standing above Jim Gordon, it's a, Da, 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 da. It's like it's 1989 Batman. And it's like, that was cool. But, uh, dude, whenever that Hans Zimmer Man of Steel score comes in, though, it's oh, like it's so 10 great. times better. Because that is so emotional, so powerful. So the score overall, like, yeah, the moments you guys are talking about were absolute dog shit. But for the most part. But the majority is awesome, great. Awesome. Yeah. And I will say, yeah. to kind of counteract the Aquaman a little bit, we got a similar scene with Flash saving Iris West. But that was a really cool use of that music, I thought. I really enjoyed that. Kind of like the piano and watching him move fast, but he's actually kind of just moving slowly for him was really cool to see. And that was a good use of music there. I love him popping out of his shoes in that scene too. So cool. So cool. He just like burns right out of him, yeah. So cool. Putting a hot dog in his pocket. When we were like, is that just a snack? And using that in the dog But then using it as a way to get the job. And he's like, so what, I start on Monday? (laughs) I, I do think, too, man, for a Zack Snyder movie, the writing is a lot better in this version than it has been in his prior DC films. Oh, considerably. Because it doesn't, it, it's, it's a good balance. Like, it doesn't go so far as BVS with, oh my God, we get it, politics, whatever. Lex Luthor, what is he doing? I don't know. Um, so this one is like, it still has that Zack Snyder epic feel, but it doesn't go past that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it still feels like everything makes sense. It doesn't, like, try and bring in all these crazy elements so speaking of changes uh there is a pretty major change that i think does change like the entire dynamic of the third act um and i was really surprised to see that the whole justice league team is actually really unified after their first fight with steppenwolf there really isn't any entertained squabbling like there was in the theatrical version and then also they're all completely unbored and understand that they need superman back to win this fight it's not just Batman trying to do this because he feels guilty from the events of BVS. So how did you guys feel about seeing the opposite of this in the theatrical cut and then now having seen what we got in the Snyder cut? I feel like I would have maybe liked a middle ground, if that makes sense. Like, it does kind of make sense that, like, maybe not everybody would be on board. Like, look, I get Superman's really powerful, but bringing him back from the dead, like, that, that might be a bit too far. Um, and then in this version, having none of it, it would have been nice, maybe maybe just make Wonder Woman the only person. She's not against it, but maybe she just questions it. Like, are you sure, Bruce? Like, because she has experience with Superman a little bit. So it would have been nice to maybe get a little middle ground. I do kind of like that we got it from Alfred, though. Yes. Alfred did kind of push back a little bit. So it's still in the movie. It's just not... I, I just like the fact that it's not dividing the entire team. Agreed. I like that the team is unified. We got a great scene between Aquaman and Diana after that, too, wherever they kind of both acknowledge that 
I'm an Atlantean, you're an Amazonian, our races hate each other, we haven't been unified in 5,000 years, and they kind of almost joke like... And then there's that really sweet moment where they realize they both have similar sayings. Um, and it was like, okay, it's a fun way to unite them. And then this is also the first time where Flash and Cyborg are first starting to become a bit more chummy with each other. They're not fully there yet, but... So yeah, I really like that we did get unified after this. It makes sense, I think, for them to be more that way as opposed to fighting immediately after between themselves. Yeah, it just felt more realistic to me. I mean, if you're going to fight something that powerful, you're going to need something that powerful to counteract it. Mm-hmm. And not saying no, not saying the other ones aren't powerful because Wonder, Wonder Woman's pretty damn strong. And same with Aquaman and, and Cyborg has his abilities as well. But Superman... He could do almost anything. He's, He's Superman. It. So, He's yeah, I mean, it made sense to bring him back. And and it did kind of make sense that Alfred was kind of hesitant to bring him back because I think he was kind of looking out for Bruce in a way. Yeah, I think Alfred was kind of like, hey, man, didn't you just get into a fight with this guy? Like, are you sure you want to bring him back? Yeah, and I, I like that too, Keith. That's a great point because... Like, Alfred views Batman as his son. So, of course, he's going to be concerned about the fact that he's trying to bring back a god who he just essentially killed in the last movie. We got a lot of great Batman and Alfred stuff in this version. I also do want to say, too, I I do like the fact, too, that in this version, Batman isn't being an ass to the team. Like, they're all kind of on board with each other. He doesn't doesn't bring up Steve Trevor just to hurt Diana. Like, I like that it's more of a unified team and that they all kind of do begin to care about each other by the end of this film. It makes way more sense. And I think you could make the argument that at times with Snyder, maybe making sense isn't always presented super well. Because we we joked about it last night a little bit. Um, Again, Joss Whedon's version, there are weird things about it too. But it's not like... I kind of, and Austin and I both like the Superman grabbing Batman, do you bleed line. And it's like, okay, I get if we're not going to get that. If we don't get that, that's fine. But in this version, well, it makes more sense that Lois sees Superman from afar and then runs there. It's not super cool that Batman's response is, Clark, don't. Uh, uh, we need your help. It's like, that was the way we're going. Like, it makes more sense, but it's not cool. You know, if that makes sense. I did. That's actually a change I was not fond of in this one. I didn't like the fact that Batman doesn't really like stand up for himself whenever Superman yeah. comes back. Yeah, he just cowers down and is like, "Don't, don't hurt me, Clark. Don't hurt me. I'm so scared. I need my suit. I need my mech armor." Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, of course. Overall, I do appreciate that things make more sense and flow better. So, yeah, I think the unification was really cool overall. Yeah. So speaking of Batman. Uh, yeah, in the theatrical version, you know, Batman, we kind of already touched on this, but yeah, Batman is portrayed as more of like a desperate guy just trying to get Superman back and kind of build a team around it. Um, but in this one, there's a way more character development. Um, I loved him in this movie on all counts. I mean, he he had some awesome action sequences with him, like kind of flipping around, using the grappling gun, using some other bigger guns, and yeah, and using his whole arsenal. Um uh, and his relationship with Alfred. So I guess I could say to summarize that, that Ben Affleck really looked and acted like a badass Batman slash Bruce Wayne in this movie. Would you guys agree? This is the best Batman movie Zack Snyder's done, I think. I think Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne is fantastic in this version. I agree. Whereas the Justice League theatrical was like the worst version, and this is the best, because it should be acknowledged that Batman's character arc, while really cool in this movie, it's not earned at all because of how bad it's handled in BVS, where he's just murdering hundreds and hundreds of people. And then Superman comes back, says his mom's name, and then he saves her. And then they fight Doomsday. He dies. And then all of a sudden, Bruce has the line to Diana and at the end of BVS, 
I failed him in life. I won't fail him in death. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That line in BVS is not earned, but I do like that in this version, like in this version of Justice League, at least at the beginning, he sets up like, I spent, I spent my entire time trying to divide all of us. It's time I start bringing us together. No, I, agree. I do kind of like that change of yeah. heart. No, it's, it's great in this movie. I'm just saying the character to get to that point makes no sense. But if you look at this in a vacuum, it's just perfect in Justice League, I think. I do kind of like, though, the development from BVS to him kind of being like that in the opening. I do think in the theatrical version, it was a much worse version of Batman when he's just kind of moping around feeling sorry And all sorry of a sudden in the theatrical, he, he's like, I'm too old for this shit. And I love the scene we've talked about where Wonder Woman pops his arm back into place just because it's a cool idea. But the fact that it seems like he's now all of a sudden doesn't want to be Batman after this is kind of weird. And his motivations just seem more based around Superman rather than actually fighting Steppenwolf to me. It seemed like more just like a guilt compensation maybe. for yeah. what he did. Yeah. He also doesn't have a death wish in this version like he did in the theatrical version. He's not actively trying to die. Yeah. And one other note I'll say on him is that it's definitely, you know, related closely to the uh, animated series for me. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as his personality, his demeanor, and him and Alfred's relationship, and the whole Batcave thing as well. I love Alfred as the tinkerer, too. I love that he's designing the armor, working out, trying out new gadgets, getting ideas from the Superman ship. Like, all that's so cool. And I also love the fact that Batman brings the Justice League to the cave. I thought that was a great moment, too, in this version. Yeah, 100%. I feel like... Just in a vacuum, like I said, I love that this version of Batman, even though he's older than a lot of versions, it feels like after the events of the previous movies, he has an Alfred seemingly can kind of tell. It's almost like he's reverted back to what he was like when he was younger, at least when it comes to a bit more optimistic. And it seems like Alfred can sense that, which means we get some just beautiful moments between him and Alfred that so with Keith on that, that were so reminiscent to me of the animated series relationship. Um, where at times it is kind of more business transactional, but then you do get these really kind of brief, fun moments of like, they acknowledge what they mean to each other. And it just felt like that kind of emotional resonance transition to the rest of the team, like Austin said, with the whole being unified. It's like just such a better version. I like that he's not just being a dick for the sake of it for some reason. It just makes way more sense here. I also like, too, the dynamic of, of Cyborg and the rest of the team, where when it, at first he comes on, we do kind of get a similar scene where Aquaman is like, well, what if he's working for the mother boxes? And I like that Cyborg gets to kind of tell his origin to the team. And then right after that, the team's like, okay, I, I believe you. I also think um, Aquaman and Flash have some great moments, too, in this film. I think there's so many great individual Justice League character moments. Yeah, we didn't get any of them in the original. So that was cool, for sure. The Aquaman character was also a very strange one in the theatrical cut because they really didn't give any motivation. So he's just not been to Atlantis at all for some reason. We don't really know. And then he goes there for some reason. We don't really know. Ends up in the fight with Steppenwolf. So it made way more sense. And you also kind of understand why he's rejected all these things. And it's also for reasons that we find out in the Aquaman movie, right? It's like he doesn't really know his mom. He feels that she rejected him. So... This is her place. I don't want to go there. Volko trained him. He's kind of grown up. and He's being his own thing. It makes way more sense here. And it's kind of sweet. And then seeing him try and play well with others on the Justice League makes it way cooler when the movie goes on. As opposed to theatrical where he just has a trident all of a sudden, shows up during the Strikers Island fight, and then is just kind of a weird, quippy guy for the rest of that movie. <laughs> so whereas here, there's like weight to it. Well, speaking of him being a weird, quippy guy, I, I really think the editing in the theatrical version did a big disservice to Jason Momoa's performance. Because if you just watch the theatrical version, you think Jason Momoa is just here to look strong and say one-liners. 
Whereas in the Snyder Cut moment, he has some really great emotional scenes. I love him interacting with Vocal. I love him. I love his conversation with Diana. Like you said, Matt, I like all the stuff we get of him interacting with the Flash. Even in the Superman fight, when 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 Superman causes the Flash to run into him, I kind of like that moment of him like pointing at the Flash and saying like "You're dead." <laughs> like all that stuff, I think is great, and and you don't get any of that in the theatrical version. And it pays off great in the epilogue whenever Vocal and Mara come back, and it's almost like. Being a part of a team and accomplishing that makes him want to be better in his personal life and makes him want to maybe be a bit more unified when it comes to other things. He's like, I'm going to go see my dad. And he's kind of appreciative of Volko um, and kind of referencing things that we'll see in the Aquaman movie. He calls out King Orm, his brother, directly, which was interesting. Uh, and they kind of also referenced why the Atlanteans didn't help during this fight because Orm said no. So it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, again, just a lot of cool things here. And we just get some badass scenes with him uh, slashing his trident around. Dude, whenever he stabs Steppenwolf in the back, it was like, oh my god, I didn't expect that. That was cool. Yeah. And then Diana cuts his head off, and then it falls at Darkseid's foot. So cool. Oh, What a way to tease Darkseid, too, dude. I guess we didn't even really talk about it, but what did you guys think of that crazy moment whenever Cyborg fails to bring the boxes together and then Flash has to run back in time a little bit to give them more time? Like, I was like, I didn't expect that to happen. That was interesting. Visually, it looked pretty incredible, but it, it is confusing. It was confusing. Like, the way the events play out. Because we, I didn't know that until I did a little bit of research to see what was happening. And after the fact, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But when we were watching it, we were a bit unclear. Like, is he going back in time? It's It's hard to tell that he's resetting time but only by like five minutes like when you think of the flash like resetting time you think of him like going all the way back to the events of flashpoint you know so it was, it was really weird to have it only be like a couple minutes just so he could get to cyborg in time yeah, it was nice that they failed i did like that they didn't complete it so they had to figure something out but it, it was weird so like we said we see it happen steppenwolf met his demise he didn't just he didn't just get a taken him to a portal and then we don't know what happens to him. We know what happens to Steppenwolf in this version. Gets stabbed in the back by Aquaman. Superman uses his freeze breath to destroy his fucking axe, which I was like, yes, that's so cool. And then <laughs> Wonder Woman in slow motion decapitates him, sends his head through a portal, and Darkseid, the Thanos of the DC universe, isn't even sad. Just crushes his head with his foot immediately. So cool. But... We have to talk about what happens after chapter six, and it is the epilogue. We get all the traditional scenes you would think, kind of like a moment with Cyborg kind of recognizing his father's sacrifice and kind of like being introspective, which was cool. We get the Flash. I always loved Billy Crudup as Henry Allen. I'm genuinely so sad we won't see him again because of uh, scheduling conflicts. But him, I love that scene of saying he got like the shittiest job you can get in a crime lab and... Uh, his dad's response is just so great. Got your foot in the door? My son's got his foot in the door? And Because, I mean, it's so cheesy, the lines, but I love how they use it because it makes sense for the Flash. Like, I'm tired of seeing you run in place. You know what I mean? Or like, look at you go. It's beautiful. Love it. We get the Wonder Woman closing stuff. We get the Batman stuff. And we even get, you know, the Superman, like he's back as Clark Kent, I guess, opens the shirt, get the Superman symbol. We get tons of cool Superman stuff. Well, and speaking of that, too, we haven't really touched on Superman yet in this movie. Oh, so that's how, true. How do, you, how do you guys feel about how Henry Cavill, we get the black suit. He, he's, he's super powerful in the Steppenwolf fight. Um, really not in it a whole lot, surprisingly. But what do you guys think about the scenes that we got? I really liked him. I liked that it was different from the theatrical version in the sense that he didn't just come back in. Um, and then, yeah, like we, like we always laugh about with 
Ben Affleck kind of like, yeah, he's, he's back. back. I like I like that he got the black suit and then he he went over to uh, Alfred's. He went over to oh, Alfred's yeah. office or whatever, cool. and and kind of said, "Hey, where are they at? Like, I'm here to help." But I just felt that was more natural. Which he literally just shows up. I just love Henry Cavill so much as Man of Steel, dude. I just I hope he gets another movie. I don't think he's going to, but I hope he does. Me too. Um, I was very surprised at how similar the character arc was. I mean, it's really the exact same thing in the theatrical. Handled a bit better, probably, but still, it is the same thing where he brought back to life, goes to Smallville goes, oh, I have to help them, and then goes to help them. And that's really where it adds. It's even the same thing where he's back as Clark Kent in the engine opens the shirt, like the Christopher Reeve classic version. Everything that happens is the same. And I think the action is way more badass. And overall, I still love Henry Cavill. I guess I did appreciate the theatrical version did kind of bring in some of those classic cheesy Boy Scout elements of the character. It's a dumb line, I know, but whenever he comes in, he's like, I know about truth. I'm also a big fan of justice. They just punches him in the face. Uh, it's cheesy, but it is super. It's a dumb line. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's just such a cheesy yeah, line. Yeah, we didn't get any of that here, which is fine. It feels more in line with the Zack Snyder universe, so that's appreciated. And it feels like a natural evolution of he has a second lease on life. So it would kind of maybe soften him up, loosen him up a bit and be more of that traditional kind of good natured Boy Scout character. So I liked him. I liked him a lot. And I'm with Austin. I hope we see more of him because... He's been so underutilized in these movies. Even in Man of Steel, we talked about it in our very first episode of this podcast. The one character we know nothing about by the end is adult Superman. We know so much about him as a kid, but not as an adult because they keep fucking flashing back to Kevin Costner. But we never get anything of him as an adult that's interesting. So I, we need more of him because he's so good. All right. So that's our obligatory uh, Henry Cavill Superman talk. But Matt, please take us into that. Yes. Blog. So like we said, we got all those closing bits. And Austin, I know you and I were talking about it during the movie. I was like, OK, they're ending the movie. This seems weird. We, we're a bit familiar with some of these scenes. What about the nightmare sequence? Is that just a post credit scene? That seems weird. And it wasn't. We cut to a very familiar sequence. Arkham Asylum. The original post-credit scene from Justice League. Lex Luthor has somehow escaped. Slade Wilson meets him on a boat. And are we going to get the Injustice Society forming? No, we're not. We're setting up for Ben Affleck's solo Batman movie, which, will it happen? I don't know. But what do you guys think of this scene? Because this is very different. Keith, if you don't remember, the post-credit was shot in a way in the original where Lex Luthor's like, well, they're forming a league. Shouldn't we have a league of our own? In this version, I was pretty intrigued he's like i guess they implied that batman somehow caused the loss of his eye so deathstroke clearly has a rivalry with batman and lex luther's like well i'll give you a hand it's bruce wayne that's batman i was like whoa that's interesting yeah no i liked it a lot um and i'm glad that we actually got like a reveal that it was he didn't just keep his mask on the entire time i'm glad he actually took it off yeah as far as his uh deathstroke uh uniform though it looked really cool oh yeah Still looks cool. This is hands down Jesse Eisenberg's best scene as Lex Luthor. Yeah. This is where he most feels like the character. And uh, he also doesn't have that stupid red wig either, which I appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for it setting up the events of uh, Ben Affleck's Batman movie, I'm super interested in that. I really like the design that they showed us of Arkham Asylum. Uh, Deathstroke knowing he's Bruce Wayne seems like a really interesting element. I would I would have loved to have seen that play out. Me too. Literally one minute later, they're not giving us credits. We just, again, we randomly cut to a corpse in a car. Like, what? 
And here we are. We're back in the nightmare scene. Is that Batman? Oh, wow. His old pals, Cyborg and Ezra Miller with a weird goatee are here. Um, they're still the Justice League. But guess what? Diana, she's dead. And Mara is now here on the team to avenging. I guess, yeah, I guess Aquaman's dead. So Mara is now part of the squad to avenge that, I guess. She has the uh, classic trident from the king. So I guess she's the Aqua person now. And we also have Slade Wilson. So literally in the span of like 10 seconds, we go from, I hate Batman. He took my eye. I can't see well because of him too. They're buddies. They're brothers in arms in the nightmare sequence. But unfortunately, my friends, there's one other member of this squad. And he sounds a little bit like this. Jared Leto's Joker. <laughs> he refused to cut his hair. He kind of died at green, I guess. <laughs> Joker is here. So what did we what did we think of the nightmare sequence overall? We talked about Jared Leto at the beginning, but what did you guys think? I mean, this was weird to have as like the big kind of final scene in a sense, uh, clearly setting up for more. I love this way more than the nightmare sequence in BVS. I thought this whole dynamic was super interesting, actually seeing like who was on Batman's team. And uh, the Jared Leto, Batman, Ben Affleck, like conversation is, is pretty great. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well acted. And you can tell that these two definitely have a history. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, the whole Jared Leto's Joker thing <laughs> cracked me up, but in a good way. I just like that he was sitting on the hood of a car, yeah. just kind of facing away from everybody. He's like, ah, ah. and then Batman comes over to him and starts talking to him. I really like their conversation too. Yeah. I thought it was pretty, pretty menacing and, and pretty creepy and, and how Joker just kind of called him out. He's like, yeah, that's all bullshit what you just said. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. As far as the whole nightmare thing, let me ask you guys this, since I'm I'm more of a DC dummy and other people listening might not know. Can you guys explain a little bit more of the nightmare sequence to me? So is Superman a bad guy in this thing? Or are people, are people all turned on each other? Or what's going on? That's what it looks like from the flashback we got in Cyborg scene. It looks like Lois Lane died. And then Darkseid used that to turn Superman evil. So mm. in, in the Nightmare universe, it looks like Superman is evil, and that's who they're fighting against. Gotcha. It also somehow ties into Batman v Superman that Austin mentioned. There is a nightmare sequence where, Keith, you probably remember, Batman is wearing like the, the trench coat, and he's fighting all the parademons and all that. And then they reveal, oh, Superman is the one in charge of this army, I guess. <clears throat> and then he comes down and kills them all. Now, it's hard, I guess because of that, this can't be in the same continuity since Superman killed Batman in that scene, but it's obviously the same world, same scenario. And in BVS, they also had that scene where Flash runs back in time wearing the same outfit he's wearing in this nightmare scene, and he runs back to tell Batman Lois Lane is the key. That's basically how you solve this. So I was surprised, I will say, I knew this was coming from the trailers, but based on the fact that Lois Lane does bring Superman back from the brink in this movie, right? Just like in the theatrical cut. So why is there a nightmare sequence? Is it just so that they can set up later that Flash has to run backwards to tell Bruce that? You know what I mean? Because like they saved Superman, so it's kind of like, oh, I guess he's still bad in the nightmare. I don't know how that works. But I think, I think it's important to remember, though, the reason he's still bad in the nightmare is because Lois Lane is dead. So there still is an opportunity for Lois Lane to die in Justice League Part 2. Uh, I'm assuming that happens when Darkseid comes in, Lois Lane dies, Darkseid uses that to get under oh, Superman's skin, okay. and now he's I an see. enforcer for Darkseid. I see what you're saying. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So this is the final question I kind of want to pose to you guys based on what you just mentioned there. Without talking about the potential or the no potential of Zack getting to do a sequel, we've talked about that enough. Let's just pretend right now we live in a timeline 
where we see this Justice League movie and we already know that they're working on a sequel, right? Does any of this play into future movies? But the big one is after seeing the nightmare scene at the end, where does this lead in future movies, Austin? Like you talk about with Justice League 2, is that the big setup? Is there more to this than we realize? Like, how would this have been used in the future since Zack Snyder left this in the movie? This is the stuff that he shot, right? This was the reshoots that he did for this release. Primarily, though, primarily, though, just the Jared Leto conversation. Right. All the stuff with Slade and Mara was already shot. Right. So it was mostly just the conversation between Batman and the Joker. So you have to wonder. I mean, we live in a society, as Joker says, but we live in a timeline right now where we know we're getting more. So I want to know, based on what happened in this movie and in the nightmare scene, what do you want to see in future movies? I want to see it all, dude. I did not really like the nightmare stuff at all, like I said in BVS. What they did here I thought was so cool, and I'm way more interested in it now, especially if it is like... The whole Lois is the key thing, like that seems way more important now, knowing that we saw Superman mourning Lois Lane's death. Like, I think that's really cool. I think it makes that scene more impactful in BVS too now. Um, I'm really interested to see a Batman, Mira, Deathstroke, Joker, Cyborg, Flash team. That seems like a really cool dynamic. I don't want to see a whole movie of that, but if it was like the opening of part two, maybe go the halfway point and then they find a way to get the whole Justice League back together, especially after some of the solo movies we've now had already. I think that would have been a really interesting movie. I'll second that, and I'll just add to it, I do want to see a Batman movie with Deathstroke, and I would like to see Joker in there as well. I think it'd be kind of cool if Joker may not be the the main villain of it, but at least maybe like a side villain. And that was the pitch too, Keith. It was Ben Affleck's movie was going to be set in Arkham Asylum, and it was going to be like him kind of encountering kind of all his old villains, which would have been really cool. Maybe get some Penguin in there, get some some, uh, Riddler in there. (laughs) Man-Bat. We were laughing at that sketch they showed. Is that Batman? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I want to see all this stuff, too. Um, It's cool that we have Aquaman, at least, which is the only one, really, that ties into this that we've already seen a movie that takes place after. So you kind of can see where some of the threads filled in there. Um, I want to see this version of Diana in a Wonder Woman 3. I'm excited after 84 that we know the next one is supposed to be in present day. Like, I want to see Diana with this new mentality. What does that mean? Who will she go against? So interesting, even more after this. I already mentioned, after watching this movie, I'm so stoked for an Ezra Miller Flash movie. I think that could be really cool. Bring back Iris West. She was great. Kiersey Clemens. Not enough of her. I think she only had one line, too, but it was fine. Um, But yeah, I just want to see everything. And with the Nightmare stuff, I have no clue where that will go. But I'm interested, at least. It kind of sounds like Austin. I think you're right. Is It's kind of used to just really emphasize Steppenwolf, hard to beat. You know who's harder? Darkseid, and he's coming. So that's cool. You know who's even harder than that? Darkseid with Superman on his yeah, team. exactly. There's no way they will win. So Matt, thank you for setting up kind of an alternate reality where we, all, where we know that they're working on Justice League 2. It would be interesting to be in that reality today. However, we are in the present. So I do need to ask you guys, now that we have seen Zack Snyder's Justice League, do we believe in their Restore the Snyderverse movement? And should DC continue as they have been, kind of resetting everything? Or should they kind of go back to the Snyderverse and should they let him continue making his movies? Or do you want a hard reset? Well, you're talking you're talking about a hard reset. The biggest issue right now is that Andy Muschietti, the guy that did Mama and the uh, It movies, he's directing The Flash and it's happening and it's Flashpoint. So it's like... Uh... It's going to be hard to have the Snyder stuff if you're like going to reset everything with Flashpoint. So I don't know what they do. What do you think, Keith? I don't think I'd like a reset. I mean, we've gotten Man of Steel, BVS, and 
we they know they had their flaws, but I think we should just just continue where we're at. I mean, we can continue. Yeah, we still can do that. Like you can there, you can get Ben Affleck back. You can get Henry Cavill back. You can continue this. There's no reason you can't do that. I am interested to see the context of how the Flashpoint movie plays out. But we're still, even with the recent movies we've gotten, we still are in a position that we can continue setting up Zack Snyder's original vision for uh, this universe. My only thing with the whole Flashpoint thing, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's just one of the things that kind of turned me off the Flash series, though, after a while. It just got so annoying. Like, just all these different alternate timelines. Can we just have one chronological story? So I do want to go back to kind of the, the main thing of this question. And do you guys believe in Restore the Snyderverse? Do you want him to... Do you want him to keep continue making more movies? Would you want to see a Justice League Part 2? Would you want to see Ben Affleck's Batman movie? Yeah, well, yeah. To be clear, I don't want him to make all of them. Like, I'm fine with him doing Justice League, but I know you weren't saying this, but like Ben Affleck, I wouldn't want him to direct it. I want Ben Affleck to be a part of that. I want someone else directing that. But you're talking about the continuity, which 100% yes. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but after doing this podcast and watching Man of Steel, there's so much dumb shit in Man of Steel. Um, we joked about it last night. Russell Crowe as Jarrell, Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent. Every other scene, they are saying different things to Clark, like, be a god to them, Clark, or hide your powers completely. Who are you going to be, Clark? It's like, it's infuriating. <laughs> but um, the movie <laughs> as a whole, I do have a very like new appreciation for it. Same with BVS. I think BVS is even stupider in its slow moments, but in its high moments, it's pretty damn interesting, and I do like a lot of it. So... I can't believe I'm saying it, but after seeing this Justice League movie, yes, I want to see this continuity continue. But, Austin, we have to kind of bring up the even bigger question, and Keith might not like this because it kind of goes into what Keith just mentioned. Like, can't we have one chronological story? Unfortunately, I think the best situation we can hope for, Keith, is that HBO Max somehow keeps producing these movies. So it's like you get Justice League 2, 3, Ben Affleck's Batman on HBO Max – but then in theaters, you get Aquaman 2, uh, Flashpoint, Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson's Batman trilogy. So I think there's going to be, in the best case scenario, we have different kind of universes going on in theaters and HBO Max. Yeah, but see, that's I think that's okay, though, because HBO Max is its own platform. So I think you can do that. I think you can have... This is the theatrical stuff that we're doing here. But then, hey, do you like do you like this Zack Snyder dark stuff? Well, guess what? We've got it all on HBO Max. Like, I think that I think they can exist alongside each other. I'm just curious if they if they can even do that business wise. I'd be curious how that works. Like, can they make a sequel to this? I don't know. See, that that's my whole thing is I don't know if we'll ever get the full on Snyderverse, quote unquote, if you want to call it that on HBO Max. I'm not sure if we'll ever get that. I am really interested, though, if. The positive response does seem to be pretty overwhelming at the moment. And HBO Max is going to have the most signups they've ever had for people to watch this without a doubt. Especially with the buzz, too. Like, I've had so many people texting me saying, man, that movie's pretty cool. So more and more people are going to be signing up. So I am wondering if maybe they do greenlight a Zack Snyder Justice League sequel to only put on HBO Max, and then that's the conclusion. I would be interested in that. Especially because Warner Bros. does like these streaming numbers. That's that's a good point. It would be nice if they could find a way to consolidate it. Maybe make it four hours again, but just do everything you were going to do in Justice League 2 and 3. Just do it in one movie called Justice League Part 2 or something. That would be good. So we don't have to like wait for years and not get too confused if they try and do Justice League in theatrical later. That would be nice if you could somehow have a Part 2 and that's it. 
and and we've already proven that people will watch a four-hour version of this. Oh, yeah. So let him let him go as long as he wants in part two, and then say, "But Zach, you're done after this. So no setup. You got you got to close everything." Can you imagine seeing a four-hour Justice League sequel that's all new footage? <laughs> it's like not nothing familiar. <laughs> that could be pretty cool. But all the music is piano, and everything's in slow motion. <laughs> All right, guys, so let's go ahead and start closing out. Um, before we get into our awards, I do want to do our rankings now, having seen the Snyder Cut. I would love to hear how you guys rank the Snyder Cut movie among the films that you've seen for the DCEU. Okay, Keith, so you haven't seen Shazam or Birds of Prey, so why don't you go on, go ahead now and give me a ranking, including the Snyder Cut, among the films that you have seen. I mean, I really like this movie, actually. <laughs> me too. I mean, I liked it, was, it a lot. I know it was four hours long, and maybe I need to rewatch it, but I really did enjoy it. All right. Number one, Wonder Woman. Mm. Number two, Schneider Cut. There you go. Number three, Man of Steel, Aquaman, BVS, Justice League, theatrical version, Suicide Squad. And number eight, fuck you, Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> oh, Keith. <laughs> Keith hated it. He hated it so bad. I, uh, I think I'm ready to give my rankings. Number one. Zack Snyder's Whoa! Justice League. Wow. I had a great time with this one. Number two, Wonder Woman. Number three, Man of Steel. Shazam. BVS. Aquaman. Birds of Prey. Wonder Woman 1984. Suicide Squad. And the theatrical version of Justice League. After having seen the Snyder Cut, I now cannot even fathom ever watching the theatrical version again. So it's got to go at the bottom. I'm close with Austin there. I can't go that far. Yes, the theatrical cut is boring, but I can't I can't change my number 10. Number 10 is Suicide Squad. Number 9 is the theatrical cut of Justice League. It's too hollow to go any higher for me. Number 8, I want to put it higher. I can't. BVS. Number 7, Aquaman. Number 6, Shazam. Number 5, Wonder Woman 1984. Number 4, Man of Steel. Number 3, Wonder Woman. Number 2... Birds of Prey, number one, Zack Snyder's Whoa! Justice League. Wow. Wow. Matt was the most hesitant of the three of us going into this film. He was really was not too hyped for it. I cannot believe he likes it that much. Nice. It's a great movie. It's really good. It's not without its flaws. Just because it's number one doesn't mean it's a masterpiece. The reason I put it higher is because I was with Keith. I was like, the lowest I could put it is three because of Wonder Woman. Great movie. Third act doesn't work for me. And then I was like, I mean, I guess I'll put it at number two. But the thing is, Birds of Prey is so damn fun. There's lots of great in it. This one just has more. So I had to put it number one. All right, guys. Well, that is kind of the, the conclusion of our talk on the Snyder Cut. But before we get out of here today, let's go ahead and give out some awards. Uh, if you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith, go ahead and start us off today. The best Blank Face Award goes to Miss Iris whenever her car crashes <laughs> into a truck and she flies in the air with the most blank expression I've ever seen on a person that's getting into a car accident. Good job, Iris. Uh, I, don't, I don't fully know how to phrase this, but I'm just going to go with it. My award today is, why is this scene so long? Question mark. And it is the entire Justice League trying to cross a bridge. <laughs> Or a broken railway? I forgot about that. What the hell's going on here, dude? Why does why do we need each one of them like coming up with their own way to cross this gap? You're superheroes. Just get over the thing. What are we doing here, guys? Whenever we were watching it, Austin talking about like he was laughing so hard because they do this like probably five second shot and we're watching Batman 
Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Cyborg literally walk up a staircase really slowly. <laughs> and it's like, guys, what are you doing? We could be handling this a bit better, I feel like. Um, well, my award is actually, I brought up two of those characters. My award will go to some of them. We can't deny it. We've tried to for years. The hottest new couple, guys. It's Batman and Diana. <laughs> wow. Bruce and Diana. They were teasing a relationship. They are pretty cute together. They're touch, They're doing a little, oops, sorry, touch your hand. Um, <laughs> I think there might have been a sex scene we didn't see. That's my theory. I think there might have been like Diana wrapped him up in that lasso of truth. And Bruce just like, uh, he kept the robot voice on during the scene because she requested it. That was actually a Whedon scene. I'm, I'm mistaken. That was a Whedon scene. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, release the weed and cut. Release release the weed and cut. Please, everybody, please. All right, everybody. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We will be back next week for the MCU in our ongoing Phase 1 retrospective and review series with Iron Man 2. Ooh, that'll be an interesting one. People don't love Iron Man 2 as much as the other MCU movies, so we'll see what we think. Uh, In the same line as the MCU, every week, like we mentioned, we will be reviewing each new episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So check those out, my friends. And you have your Iron Man and our Hulk episodes if you want to listen to those before going into Iron Man 2. Check those out. Austin and I will also be doing a new episode of Co-op Couch coming very soon. We're going to be talking about all the video game news of the month and, of course our favorite characters in video games. So check that out. And check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Please go back and watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier and give us your theories on what's to come next on that. Also, please watch um, Zack Snyder's Justice League and let us know what you thought of it. And go back and watch some original, or sorry, listen to some original Arnie episodes of... Justice League Actually, please version. don't. Please don't, because we sound like shit in those episodes. No, go listen to it so you go can appreciate where we've come from. If you listen to those episodes, it's like the Justice League theatrical cut. We don't sound too good. We're still getting used to it. Things are confusing. But then check out this episode, because you can see that we're professionals. Yeah, go check out our Man of Steel episode, our BVS episode, and our Justice League episode. And please catch up on our MCU reviews as well. So go check out Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk. All right, everybody, we will talk to you later. Have a great week. My man.